Well, I want to talk to you about wisdom and your reputation. Wisdom and your reputation. Reputation is a big deal, or it should be a big deal to you. We ought to strive to have a good reputation. Let me show you this in Proverbs. Turn back to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Verse 1. A good name, or a good reputation, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. So if someone comes to you and says, you have an option. You can be a wealthy multimillionaire, or you can have a good reputation. According to the Bible, which one should you choose? A good reputation. Every time. A good reputation is more important than uh, much, uh, much money, great wealth. And so we ought to uh, work hard. And that's got to do a work in our lives so that we can live a good reputation. Uh, we ought to want to have a good reputation among those in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of the qualifications for leaders in the church, when it talks about elders and deacons, pastors and deacons, is that the, 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 the candidate for that office, the man be a person of, of good reputation, one who uh, uh, no ill can be spoken of uh, against that person. And so we want to maintain a good reputation in the body of Christ. And we want to maintain a good reputation with outsiders. Uh, people who are not a part of the body of Christ, people that are lost and are far from God, far from Jesus. We want to live out a good reputation among them, too. Why would we want to have a good reputation among the lost? Why? So I say it louder. What? Right. They're more, they're more apt to listen to your message if they see your message backed up by a genuine faith. Right? Doesn't mean we're perfect. Christians aren't perfect. People think that Christians think they're perfect don't know the Bible very well. The Bible clearly says we're not perfect. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. We're not perfect, but we've experienced great forgiveness, right? We've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced really, really good news. And so we want to show people we've experienced that good news. The good news is changing us. The Lord is changing us. We want others to experience what we've experienced. And an important part of that is our reputation. As a matter of fact, hold your place, but turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 2, New Testament. Peter writes here, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In this context, these are people that are far from God, people that do not know the one true God. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may observe of, uh, that because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he's saying, they may say bad things about you, they may slander you, but as they see the difference Jesus is making, it may bring them to the point where they consider the Lord and consider Jesus. And so it's important we maintain a good reputation in the body of Christ and a good reputation with those outside of the body of Christ. It's so very important. You hear people say occasionally, even Christians say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Well, that's an unbiblical statement. If you don't care what anybody thinks about you, then, then you don't care about this issue. And this is a very important issue. Because our lives, listen, our lives have the potential to move people towards the kingdom and, listen, to move people away from the kingdom. That's pretty big, that's pretty weighty, isn't it? Pretty big responsibility that our lives can actually move people towards the kingdom of God. And so, we want to think about how we can have a good reputation. These, these verses we're going to look at in Proverbs chapter 25 speak of what it means to relate well to others. What it means to have a good reputation with others. So what I want to do is just walk back through Proverbs chapter 25 and 26, a little bit into 27, and I want to share with you five principles of a good reputation. Five principles of a good reputation. Now just to establish the context, remember that Proverbs begins, the first part of Proverbs are messages from a father to a son. You remember that, chapters, roughly chapters 1 through 9, deal with that message from a father to a son, a father's call to wisdom. Then in chapters 10 through 22, we have the Proverbs of Solomon. The wise king collects these Proverbs or writes these Proverbs and, and shares them. And then 
in chapters 22 through 24, there are 30 sayings of the wise. How many of you remember us studying those 30 sayings of the wise the past two weeks? Uh, what happened is there's this Egyptian named Amenemope, and Amenemope had these 30 sayings of Egyptian wisdom. And it seems like someone in the Hebrew camp, one of the people of God, said, you know what? We serve the one true God. He serves a pagan false God. And so let's show uh, the world that our God has some wisdom. So they collected 30 wise sayings of the one true God and put them together. And they were here right in the middle of the book of Proverbs. But then there's a shift in uh, chapter 25. Look what it says. Chapter 25, verse 1. It says, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So this is years after Solomon's death, decades after Solomon's death. A king named Hezekiah is on the throne of the nation of Judah. And his men go back and find some of these Proverbs that Solomon wrote or collected and put them together. So they're more Proverbs of Solomon, but collected posthumously by the men of Hezekiah, another king. Okay, so that just... It helps us to understand this section a little bit better. So, let's think about these five principles. Five principles of a good reputation. Number one, handle conflict wisely. Handle conflict wisely. Now, I want to tell you something that's going to be very important for you to understand. Conflict, in and of itself, is not necessarily a sin. It's just part of living in a world of imperfect people, you being one of the imperfect people, right? I mean, if, if, if sinners are around each other long enough, eventually they're going to rub each other the wrong way. I mean, conflict's going to, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We can just expect it. We need to understand that conflict is a part of human relationships, all right? It's how we handle that conflict when it arises, which is the key. Are we going to handle it in a godly way or in an ungodly way? And the Bible calls us to handle conflict in godly ways. For example, look what it says in chapter 25, verses 1 through 6, talk about kings, it's talking about Solomon and Hezekiah and his men, and there's some good verses there about kings. Verse 7, it says, It is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince. In other words, you don't charge into uh, a king's presence and say, I belong here. You wait for the king to summon you into his presence. Uh, then it says, verse 8, do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what, you, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. Or he who hears it will approach you and the evil report about you will not pass away. And so, these verses tell us how to handle conflict with our uh, neighbor. If you have conflict, you don't go and talk about it to other folks. Don't go arguing your conflict with your neighbor to people who aren't your neighbor. They're not going to help anything. They're just going to make things worse. In other words, you're out there blabbing about your conflict with your neighbor. Your neighbor hears it, and your neighbor humiliates you, verse 8. So what should you do? You should argue. And I don't think that's a good translation. I think the better translation is the word contend. You, you, you contend. You, you grapple through this. You deal with the conflict with your Neighbor, you go to them. That's the way you handle it. You go to your neighbor. Instead of talking to everyone about your neighbor, you talk to your neighbor. That's how you handle conflict. Some people believe that there are some, some words in here that, that point to courtroom-type language, and it speaks of, of litigation-type language, and we should, not, we should not run to litigation, but we should go and work things out in a wise, good, kind manner. So we need to learn to handle conflict wisely, whether it's with our, our, our neighbor or our spouse or our children or our coworker or a fellow church member. We need to learn to handle conflict wisely. And the wisest way to handle conflict is to go to the person you have the conflict with and deal with it. Say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's how you handle conflict. It's just that simple, right? Instead of going around them and, you know, doing all this. That, that makes conflict worse. Handle conflict wisely. That will help you to maintain a good reputation. Secondly, second principle of a good reputation is this. Watch your mouth. <laughs> watch your mouth. Proverbs is full of verses that tell us to watch our mouth. The New Testament points to many verses that tell us to watch our mouth. Our mouth can get us into a lot of trouble. Our mouth 
can lead to us having a poor reputation with others. People with big mouths, people with, with biting words, do not maintain good reputation, a good reputation with other people. So watch your mouth. And so let me give you five thoughts about your mouth. Let God use your mouth to speak, first of all, appropriate words. Look at verse 11. Like apples of gold, that probably speaks of, uh, of jewelry. Uh, you know, gold apple is a piece, of, a piece of, of jewelry. I don't know what kind of jewelry, but, but a decorative apple, if you will. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And so you have an apple made out of gold, maybe you know, an earring or a pendant or something like that. And, and, it, and it's put into a setting of silver. You can imagine how pretty that would be, a gold apple, silver around it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying here is, just like that's beautiful, when you say the right thing, listen to me, at the right time. And notice there it says, a word spoken in right circumstances. When you speak the right thing at the right time, it's a beautiful thing. Now, do you know you can say the wrong thing at the right time? And did you know you can say the right thing at the wrong time? Do you know that? As a matter of fact, look what it says in verse 20. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. That's bad. It's, it's bad to be, feel cold when you take off your garment. Or like vinegar on uh, soda. Uh, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. In other words, you see somebody that's gone through something very difficult. You know, someone... Uh, Someone loses someone clear to, uh, dear to them. They lose a loved one. And they, they come walking out of the hospital. And they've just said goodbye to their loved one. You walk up to them and say, This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That wouldn't be received well, would it? Good word, bad timing. Bad timing. And you'd be surprised at sometimes some of the things people say in times of grief to other folks that are grieving. Things that, you know, people are like, you just be better not talking, you know. Just be... And, and so we need, to, we need to make sure that we speak appropriate words. The right, the right thing to say at the right time. If in doubt, just don't say it. Good rule of thumb. Appropriate words. Appropriate words. Also, let God use your mouth to speak wise reproof. Wise reproof. Look what the Bible says in verse 12 of chapter 25. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, again, something beautiful, is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So when someone gives you permission to speak into their life, and you tell them the truth because you want to help them, not because you want to hurt them or harm them or, or kick them while they're down, but because you really want to help them go in the right direction. When you speak a wise word to a listening ear, the Bible says that is a beautiful beautiful thing. Now, I believe we're getting, in a, in, 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 we're getting into a culture where this is happening less and less in the church. You know, no one wants to tell each other the truth. We don't want to talk about what's going on in each other's lives, and, and, and we don't want anybody telling us anything going on in our life, and so we just don't talk about uncomfortable things. But we need close, Christian, wise, trusted friends around us who can, who can reprove us. You can say, no, that's, 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 you're going the wrong direction. You need to go the right direction. You need to, you need to deal with this issue. Fix this issue in your life. Look over it with me in Proverbs chapter 27. Better, uh, chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. In other words... You say, oh, I just love them so much, and I hate to see them go that direction. I just love them so much, I hate to see them destroy their life. Well, go tell them. That's better. To go tell them is better than to say you love them and not tell them. Right? Go, go intersect their life with love. And then look what it says in verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So it's a good thing. When you have a friend, a trusted, godly person that can speak truth in your life, that's a good thing. And so if you don't have someone like that in your life that can tell you the truth, then get someone like that in your life. Ask God to show you who that person is so that you can have someone talking to you about things that matter and dealing with difficult issues in your life. I, I have a pastor friend, and we meet every Thursday morning 
And, and Thursday mornings, we ask each other really hard questions about life and about integrity. And, and we ask you some really searching uh, questions. And, we, and the last question we ask is, have you been completely honest with me? We ask each other those questions about our thought life and what we've been looking at with our eyes. And have we been uh, people of financial integrity? And, and all these different, have we, have we, have we uh, built people up with our words or torn, torn people down? We ask those kind of questions. And, and, and it's good to have that in your life. We need wise reproof to, to warn us when we're going the wrong direction. It's a good thing. So let God use your mouth to speak wise reproof into someone else's life. Be their friend. Next, let God use your mouth to speak good news. Look in Proverbs 25 with me. Verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of his master. So he's saying snow is good during time of harvest because you're working and you're hot and you're sweaty and snow cools you down. It's a, it's a refreshing thing. And he's saying it's refreshing when a master, someone in a, a position of authority, sends someone with a message and they go and take the message like they're supposed to. They're saying it's refreshing to the master when the messenger is faithful. Now, is there any application of that reality or that truth for us? I would contend with you that there is an application. We have a master, right? His name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And has he given us a message? Has he? What, what message has he given us? Good news, what? Go to all nations. And tell them what? What do we tell them? When we go to somebody, in the, what do we tell them? Jesus saved. Why does Jesus save? What did he do to save us? Died on the cross for whose sins? And then what happened after he died on the cross? Rose from the dead. That, that, that's good news. And so the master has given us that message of salvation, the good news, the gospel. And it refreshes Jesus when we are faithful messengers. I believe it blesses his heart, if you will, when his people are faithful with the message. That's a, a direct application for believers. And look what it says down in verse 25 of chapter 25. Same idea. Like cold water to a weary soul. Now, cold water is good when you are Hot. I was I was out at the the uh, football fields on uh, Saturday and watching the football games, uh, you know, the youth football, and and I was I, I it was like a slow bake. I was slowly, I mean, just slowly baking in the sun on the on the metal bleachers, and then I went home, and it was middle afternoon, the hottest part of the day, and I had to mow the grass, and I mowed the grass, and I was just, I mean, just worn out, and and Claire sent Caleb out running to me with his big tall cup of ice water. You know how good that ice water was? I mean, it was so good. That's the idea. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is, watch this, good news from a distant land. So the first verse we looked at is, when we take the good news, the master's refreshed. It blesses his heart. But this verse says that those who receive the good news are refreshed, like cold water to a weary soul. And so when we go to someone and share the good news, we are bringing them spiritual refreshment, right? But we got to take that good news and share it with them. I think it's a direct uh, application for us in sharing the gospel message. But statistics show that 95% of those that name the name of Christ never share the good news. Is that staggering to you? Is that, I mean, is that surprising? When we've been given that commission, the, the master has put this message in our hands, and 95% of those never talk about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection and the difference he can make in someone's life through forgiveness and transformation. Most Christians never, ever share that message. So that means the heart of Jesus is not being refreshed, and it means that those who are lost and far from God are not being refreshed with that good news they're not and so we need to be 
wise and let God use our mouth to speak good news. By the way, what do we have to lose? I'm getting to the point now, we're losing our nation, we're losing our kids, we're losing our families. I mean, in a time we just said, who cares what people think? I'm going to talk about Jesus, what he's done for me, what he can do for them with love in my heart, with grace in my heart, because I really care about them. I'm just going to talk about Jesus. My family's around, I'm going to talk about Jesus. When, when, you know, I'm going to talk about Jesus, because he's my best friend. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. He's our only hope. And, you know, what do we have to lose, right? Why? Why do we struggle so much with it? I'm talking to myself too. Why do we struggle so much with just, with just lovingly sharing good news? Let God use your mouth to speak good news. Next, let God use your mouth to speak honestly. Honestly. Look back in chapter 25 with me, verse 14. Another simile or metaphor, like clouds and wind without rain, is a man, this will be a simile, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. <laughs> so you have a cloud with no rain, it's maybe dark, but there's no rain in it. In other words, it, it can't deliver on what it looks like it can deliver. He's saying a man here that boasts about his wealth or boasts about what he's giving is a man that's like an empty cloud. An empty cloud. In other words, this man is deceitful. He's lying about what he has or what he has given. So, wait, is it a big deal to lie about you know, your means or lie about what you've given uh, or to help folks or to, to do the ministry of the Lord or given to the church or given to the Lord's work? Is it, is it bad to lie about that? Well, ask Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story over in Acts chapter 5? Acts chapter 5 is interesting because the church is bringing all their goods together to help people that have needs. They're selling, they're selling land and bringing the money from the sale of the land and saying, hey, here it is, let's help other believers that need help in Jerusalem because people are suffering, people are following Christ and losing their jobs, so let's help each other out. So they're pulling all their resources, and Ananias and Sapphira, well, Ananias walks in first, they're a couple. Ananias walks into Peter and says, listen, I've sold some land and I'm giving you the money. And the idea is that it's, it's, there's a lot of pomp and a lot of circumstance, and it's very showy, and I'm giving all the money from my field. But the, the reality is he only gave a little bit of the money. He kept some of it for himself, so he was lying, just, just lying. And so he gave the money, and Peter said, you not only lied to me, you've lied to God, the Holy Spirit, and because of that, judgment's coming. Bam, he drops dead. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? And then... His wife walks in, she, knew, she, knew, she comes skipping in, and she didn't know what happened, and she says, yeah, we're giving all of our money from the sale of the field. You know what happens? She drops dead too. So is it a big deal? Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter, read us in there, Acts chapter 5. They said, well, wait, why didn't that happen today? Why did God do that? Why, why do you think God took Ananias and Sapphira's life in Acts chapter 5? What, what do you think? What do you think? Example, the church was just getting started, right? It was a formative time life of the church, and they had a, a world to reach with the gospel. They had a lot of pressure uh, from, from outside uh, people trying to stop the movement of the gospel. And the Lord, I believe, wanted to say to the church, listen, you've got a lot of opposition from the outside. You don't need impurity on the inside. You make sure your hearts are pure before the Lord. Because I believe it's an example that still is on for us today. It's a big deal to misrepresent what you have and to misrepresent what you uh, give. By the way, you know, a lot of people misrepresent what they have by getting everything through credit. You know, I've got this house, I've got these cars. No, you don't. You're, you're misrepresenting. You don't know. You're misrepresenting, right? Because your whole life is built upon the, 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 the foundation, the, the, the rotting foundation of debt. That's not good. And so we need, to, we need to speak honestly. Look in verse 18 of chapter 25. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow. Those are things that hurt, right? Clubs, swords, sharp arrows. Is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. So just like a club and an arrow and a sword hurts you, a man that lies about his neighbor is going to do harm. Going to bring harm to his neighbor and to others. In other words... 
Just be honest. Don't speak ill words about someone else. Don't lie about someone else to make yourself look better. Make sure that what's coming out of your mouth are honest words. Let God use your mouth in that way. And again, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not bear false witness. One of the big ten. Next, let God use your mouth to speak kind words. This is so important. Kind words. Look what it says in chapter uh, 25, verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, an angry countenance. And so when you let your tongue be, uh, when your tongue is used to, to backbite and to slander, to speak harsh, hurtful words, it brings anger on the part of others. Look what it says in verse 24. And this is the context of marriage. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. What the Bible says. We looked at this a couple weeks ago and I said, listen, don't shoot the mailman. It's in the Bible. I'm just telling you what it says, right? And so the point there is when you use your mouth to tear down, when you use your mouth to backbite, to slander, to harm, it's a bad thing. Let the Lord use you to speak kind words. Turn to Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. The Bible says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That word means to build up. According to the need of the moment. So right word, right circumstances, right timing. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Here's a good test for your tongue. You ready? Are my words, generally speaking, building others up or tearing people down? It's a good test for your tongue. I know you have good moments and bad moments, but I'm talking about generally speaking, if you could ask someone else, do your words build up, edify, build up, encourage, or do they tear down? Discourage, harm, hurt. Words really do hurt, not just sticks and stones. Amen? And so let the Lord use your mouth to speak kind words. Let me just say a word about our culture. Our culture is getting meaner by the moment it's and you know it better than i do I, you know i'm around you know church folks a lot during the week and uh you know staff and most of them are saved and so <laughs> just kidding but i mean you're i mean you're out there they're all saved i'm just kidding you're you're out there in the world and you know what it's like people are mean people are mean and i'm, I'm just telling you if you will let the Lord use your tongue to just speak words of kindness, to encourage and build up, people will stop and take notice. They really will. That you're, you don't talk like everybody else. There's something different about the way you talk. They're, they're, your, your words give life. Your words don't bring the stench of death. Your words are helping people. Your words are encouraging people. And, and that's the kind of words we want to have. Kind, affirming, encouraging words. Let God use your mouth to speak those kind of words. So number one, handle conflict wisely. Number two, watch your mouth. We're going to get a little bit faster now. Number three, love your enemies. This is where the rubber meets the road. Turn back with me to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, what? What should you do? Give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. In other words, if he continue, if, if, you, if you are kind to him or her, if you're kind to your enemy, you're blessing them, you're helping them, 
and they still maintain their antagonism toward you, that's, that's on them. The ball's in their court, right? And they're accountable between them and God how they handle their side of things. And if, you, if you're kind to them and they don't respond with forgiveness and kindness in return, then they'll be judged for that. It's like heaping burning coals on their head. They're making themselves more guilty because they're not responding to your kindness. But he says here we are to, to feed and to, to give drink to our enemies. Jesus said the same thing over in Matthew 5. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In other words, it's easy to love folks that love you back. I mean, that's just human nature. Someone loves you, it's easy to love them back. But it's a whole different ball game when someone hates you. Look what he says. Do not even... Uh, tax collectors do the same. Tax collectors, people who are far from God, sinners, they love people that love them back. He says, if you, verse 47, greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So we are to love and pray for our enemies. That's what Jesus said. Then look with me over in Romans chapter 12. Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12 verse 17. Really helpful verse here. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, let him handle it, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Quote from Proverbs. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is difficult. I'll tell you why it's difficult. It's difficult because of our old sin nature. There's something in us that when we're hurt or wounded or hated, we want to lash out, right? We want to make them feel the way they made us feel. That's a natural human response. And so what Paul and Jesus are talking about, what Proverbs is talking about, is not natural, it's supernatural. It takes the supernatural power of the Spirit to respond with love to your enemy. really does. And really mean it. And so, we, you know, we, we love revenge. You know, the, the popular shoot em up movies, you know, there's always a revenge story. And, and it, when they get the bad guy back, you're like, yes, it just feels so good, doesn't it? Because we, we like that. It, it feeds our flesh. But the, the Christian ethic is this. When someone hates you, when someone is ugly to you, when someone is your enemy, you should not hate them, you should not retaliate, you should love them, you should feed them, you should give them water, you should bless them. And I'm telling you, that'll, that'll get folks' attention. Love your enemies. I remember back when Chris, uh, Chick-fil-A was being, uh, uh, was being uh, accosted by people in the uh, gay and lesbian movement, and it's because they did not like the family values of the, the president of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, and the owner, Truett Cathy, didn't like some of the things that Chick-fil-A stood for, and so, so some of these groups were, were picketing, you remember some, remember some of this on the news, they were picketing Chick-fil-A's all over the place and holding up signs and you know, yelling at people that are going in to eat their chicken, and, 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 and it, was, it was a pretty ugly scene. But up in Memphis, I think it was the one up on Union, uh, there was a group of, of, of gay and lesbian activists who were, who were picketing um, Chick-fil-A, holding up their signs and saying their slogans and all of that. And the manager of Chick-fil-A came out with some lemonade and sweet tea. And, just, and, just, and they, they looked and they started drinking it. And it was just a, it was just, it was just a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, hey, we don't agree with what you're saying. What you're saying is unbiblical. It, it's not right. It's, it's not God's way. Um, it's, a, it's a sin. Uh, it's not an unforgivable sin, but it's a sin. But, you know what? You may never come in and eat a Chick-fil-A Chick sandwich, but we'll, we'll bring you some lemonade. We'll bring you some tea. 
to let you know that we have the love of Christ living in us. I thought that was awesome. So we need to love our enemies. It really makes an impact. Number four, wisdom in your reputation. Fourth principle, guard your testimony. By the way, there are six principles. I have five written at the top. Sorry about that. Uh, I think I added one later on. But uh, guard your testimony. Look back with me in Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25. Look at verse 26. Really interesting verse, powerful verse. Proverbs 25, 26. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well. Now, in, when this was written, you know, ancient times, a well was a big deal. I mean, it was water for the community. And when a well was polluted, contaminated, it really affected people. I mean, it, it could cause people to die because they were so needy for water. I mean, it could be miles and miles till the next well. So it's saying, like a trampled spring where good water is coming from, a polluted well, watch this, is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. The world loves to see Christians fall down into the pit. They love it. Because then they can say, I told you so. I told you so. I, I told you that about them. I told you they weren't the real deal. For example, whenever you see a pastor fall into immorality, into sin, boy, it's on the front pages, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a big, big deal because the world wants to show that and, and trumpet that as, as something they could rejoice in, really, as they see those who name the name of Christ fall morally. But the Bible says that we need to protect our testimony. We need, to, we need to ask God to give us the grace and the strength to live for Him, to finish well, to avoid the pit traps, I mean the pitfalls and the traps of life, the snares of life. It's what Proverbs is about, by the way. The book of Proverbs is about making wise decisions so you don't fall in the trap. You don't you go by the wayside. You can avoid those things that will destroy you. And so don't be like a polluted well. Don't be like a trampled spring. Don't give in to the, the temptations of Satan and the luring of the world and the, the fleshly longings of your old sin nature. Don't give in. Ask God to give you strength to live for Him, to say no to sin and yes to Him, and to finish well. Guard your testimony because your testimony relates directly to your reputation. Guard your, now, people have fallen morally, and God restores them. God is a God of forgiveness and God of a second chance. I, I understand that, and, I, and I, I know that. But wouldn't it be nice just not to go through all that? Go through that miry clay, to go through that pit, to go through that humiliation, to go through that degradation. Wouldn't it be nice just to have a consistent Christian life? Guard your testimony. Make sure you do that. You know, when you're in the heat of the moment and you're being tempted to do something evil or sinful, you, you need to think about the long-term consequences, the long-term impact, the long-term effects. Don't just think about the moment. Think about what's going to happen beyond that moment. Guard your testimony. Number five, steer clear. Steer clear. There's some folks, the Bible says, you need to steer clear of. Now, that doesn't mean you don't engage people with the gospel that are lost. Of course we do that. Of course we love them. And have a relationship with them so we can point them to Jesus, but we steer clear of them in the in in we, we steer clear of them by not letting them influence us. So what kind of people should we steer clear of? Number one, the fool. Look in chapter 26, verse 1. Like snow in summer, and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. A fool Having honor is just as weird as snow in the summer. It just doesn't make sense. Fools don't live lives that bring honor. Like a sparrow when it's flitting, like a swallow when it's flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. There are consequences for living a foolish life. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he may not be wise in his own eyes. He cuts off his own feet, drinks violence. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so the proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. 
like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Not a pretty picture, is it? And a fool, according to Proverbs, is someone that ignores God's wisdom. Someone that is not seeking to acquire and apply God's wisdom in their life. That's, that's what a fool is. And so we need to steer clear, listen, we need to steer clear of folks who are foolish, who are trying to do life apart from God's wisdom. Because eventually their foolishness will influence us and pull us in the wrong direction. Steer clear of fools. And I'm using fool in the biblical sense, not in the pejorative sense. Next, the sluggard. We should steer clear of the sluggard. The lazy man. Look what it says in chapter 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a line in the road, a line is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he's weary, bring it to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So, doesn't paint a very good picture of the, the sluggard. Notice, he says, there's a line in the road, there's a line outside, and he can't even really turn over in his bed. Not a man of action, a man of laziness. He buries his hands in the dish. He's so lazy, he can't even bring the food back to his mouth. It's a picture of laziness, and it's not a very pretty picture. As a matter of fact, look what it says over the end of chapter 24, verse 33. Verse 30. Chapter 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, your want like an armed man. So, so he said, I, I looked at uh, the holdings of a, of a sluggard, a lazy man, and it was overgrown, it was not well kept. And I realize that if you love sleep and you love slumber and you keep away from work, then you will be destroyed and brought into poverty. And so we want to steer clear of sluggards, people who do not want to work and do not want to be vigorous in service of the Lord. Next, we should steer clear of the busybody. Look in chapter 26, verse 17. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife, not belonging to him. Someone who sticks their nose where it doesn't belong. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisper are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. So saying there, we don't need to be the kind of folks that, that stick our nose where it doesn't belong and talk, 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 talk behind people's back and stir up trouble with our words. When I was growing up, we had, a, down the road I lived on, we had several big bulldogs. I had a bulldog named Magnum. And the neighbor behind me, he had a bulldog named Spike. And... The guy down the road from me, he had a bulldog named Steel. And, and these dogs, when they see each other, I mean, it was, it, you know, it, it, you know it, it, it could get bad pretty quick. But there were times when we'd be around and our dogs, you know, my friends would be playing, our dogs would be there, they would not be fighting. Well, another neighbor had a little beagle named Scout. And Scout would start nipping at those dogs. And, and before you knew it, the bulldogs were fighting, Scout was running off. I mean, that's what he did. He'd start, and uh, that little dog. Anyway, that's what it's saying here. People that, people that whisper will keep the fire stirred up, keep people fighting. And, and it says when you stop whispering, listen, the fire dies down. Now, a lot of churches could be, hit, could be helped by that simple statement right there. If you stop whispering, the fire dies. I heard this, I heard that. Well, just stop whispering. And it's going to, I promise you it won't be that big of a deal. Whatever you think is a big deal, if you start whispering about it, it'll stop being a big deal. It really will. You probably won't even remember it the next week if you just start whispering about it. And so, you need to steer clear of the busybody. By the way, busybodies, slanderers, gossips, 
do it because someone's listening. Right? What if no one listened to them? What if you didn't give them a listening ear? Good thought. Next, what kind of people should we steer clear of? Liars. The liar. Look in chapter 26, verse 23. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. A flattering mouth works ruin. So it's talking about someone here that is speaking flattering words, but their heart is evil. He's saying that kind of person will bring destruction on themselves. Be, be wary of those kind of folks. Steer clear of those kind of uh, folks. There's a, a, a little thing going on, in, uh, or a little theory, I guess, out there in the church world. I'll share it with you. Uh, it's a theory pastors have, and I heard this in seminary. And the, 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 the theory is, when you get to a new church, the first person that comes and starts telling you how great you are, and how great your sermons are, and how wonderful you are, and all that kind of stuff, will be the first person to turn on you. Because... They don't know you very well, and so what they're saying about you is just flattery. They don't really mean it. They're just trying to get in good with you, and when they don't get from you what you want, they're liable to turn you. Now, there's one way to around that. You want to hear it? Just start a church. I didn't have that. I just started a new church, so, so I didn't have to deal with that. So we all started together, so I don't have to worry about all that. We just, we just start from scratch. But that theory is when a pastor goes to a new church, that first person to come and flatter, 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 you better watch out. They may be the person that turns on you. And guess what? I've seen it in other churches. I've had pastor friends. I've seen that happen. So we need to be careful of, of, of the folks that use flattery to try to get in good, but really they have deceit and evil in their heart. They're really trying to manipulate people to get what they want. And that's, that's, not a, that's not a good way to live, is it? Don't be like that. Don't let people like that influence you. The liar, the flatterer. Steer clear of those kind of folks. Number six. And we'll be done. Number six of the five principles. <laughs> Seek humility. Look what it says in chapter uh, 25, verse 27. The Bible says, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. So, Using a, a kind of a, a comparison here, it's not good to eat too much honey. Too much honey can harm you. It's okay to eat honey. Sweets are okay, but just not too much. All in moderation, right? Right? Can't get an amen. All right. But it's also bad to seek one's own glory, to search out one's own glory. That's not a good thing. It's 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 damaging. Just like eating too much honey can be damaging. Look what it says in chapter twenty-seven, verse one. Two things you shouldn't boast about. You ready? Number one, do not boast about tomorrow. Why shouldn't we boast about tomorrow? Why? We're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? I mean, that's why James says, when you say, we're going to do such and such, say, Lord willing. No. I'll see you Sunday, Lord willing. I mean, I don't know that for sure I'll see you Sunday. If God wants me to see you Sunday, I'll see you Sunday, Lord willing. So... Don't boast about tomorrow. But here's another thing you should not boast about. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Don't boast about yourself. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. No one likes a braggart, do they? Now, this does not apply to fantasy football. I've been rubbing it into Kevin that I beat him this past week. But other than fantasy football, this applies, all right? It doesn't apply to real football either. You can rub it in if your team... Be, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but he's saying here, don't, don't, don't brag on yourself. Someone's going to praise you. Let it be someone else's lips doing that. Seek humility. Don't be a bragger. No one likes... They really don't. People don't like a bragger. Even if they act like they like you, they don't like you if you brag about yourself. And look what it says in chapter 27, verse 21. This is a powerful verse. 
the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold. In other words, you put, you put metal into a fire and the impurities of that metal rise to the surface, right? Look what it says. So each one is tested by the praise accorded him. In other words, when you are praised, if there's any impurity in your life and boasting and pride, it'll rise to the surface. A man is tested, it says, by his praise. Can you handle praise without it getting to your head, without you getting arrogant and boastful? Or, or do you deflect that praise back to the glory of God and say it's only by God's grace? Seek humility. Be humble towards God. Be humble towards other people. You know that if there's anything good in your life, if there's anything good in my life, it's because God did it, right? If you ever see anything good come from Wade Humphrey's life, I've got one word for you, grace. G-R-A-C-E. That's, that's it. That's my only explanation. It's not because Wade's good. It's not because Wade's figured life out. If you ever see me doing anything good, if I'm having a good day, a good moment, I've spoken a good word, anything good, it's grace. It's undeserved favor. I don't deserve it. God's done it in my life. Amen? That's humility. That's saying, God, I don't, I don't deserve any praise. I mean, I wouldn't even be able to do what I did if it were not for the Lord. And we need to be humble towards others. First uh, Peter 5 says, we're to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So seek humility. And listen to me, there's not a person in this room that does not struggle with pride. Not a person in this room that does not struggle with pride. We all struggle with with pride. We all need to constantly let the Lord have His way in our life, surrender to the Spirit's work so that we can live out the fruit of humility. So, you want a good reputation in the church and outside of the church? Handle conflict wisely. Watch your mouth. Love your enemies. Guard your testimony and steer clear and seek humility. People, listen, people are repulsed by a braggart, but they are drawn towards it. Think about the people that you've really been drawn to in your life. I bet you it's someone that was humble. That humility really got your attention. I, you know, I love the, the story. You've heard me tell the story before of uh, Miss Helen Pitts. She was my Sunday school teacher for years growing up in, in, at Burton Baptist Church. And uh, it, she, it just was not about her. She's a humble servant of the Lord, a prayer warrior. She loved the Bible. She loved to teach us the Bible. But it just was not about her. She was a humble humble servant, and uh, I believe that when we all get to heaven, uh, Miss Pitts is going to be a, l- a lot closer to the front of the line than Wade Humphrey, because she was a humble servant of the Lord. And remember what Jesus said, the last will be first, and the first will be last.